Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, John Worth, I'm here. It's this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. Quarantine in Australia is drawing to an end. The social media ban on players, especially in Adelaide, is drawing to an end. Tennis is about to start. Next week we'll do full Australian Open 2021 preview talk. Uh, this week, though, we have a North American guest. She is fresh from getting her COVID vaccine. The guest is Elite, and we are talking Elite. We're talking Roger Federer-level Elite. It is the Elite Eye Doctor and Eye Surgeon Renee Richards. Uh, Dr. Richards, of course, is also known, better known, as a tennis player and, above all, the transgender groundbreaker. So this full disclosure, first of all, this is a conversation uh, between friends. This is not a debate show. We've got to know each other uh, in recent years. And I have to say this is, if not the, certainly one of the most fascinating people I've ever come across. Uh, for starters, again, imagine taking pride in one facet of your life and then being known to the outside world for something else completely different. So uh, I encourage Dr. Richards to come on because she has a forthcoming book out. We will uh, we will link it. And um, we talked about the book. The book is about dot, 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 her medical practice and healthcare in the 21st century. This is not a memoir. It's not a you know me- meditation on trans life or the trans athlete or about being... Uh, I think it was a Times of London called the Caitlyn Jenner of the 70s. This is a, a medical book. So this is, again, this is just an extraordinary human being. We talk about the book. We talk about Dr. Richard's relationship with tennis, with golf. She still plays. Um, inevitably, we talk about her role as, as a trans pioneer. And uh, I guess a, a warning here, this is uh, it's perhaps not what you might think. Um, she surprised me and I suspect would perhaps surprise some of you as well. Um, she has views that... Might get challenged in some quarters, but she is entitled to those views. Probably singularly so. So uh, we talk about a variety of topics here. Uh, this is a, a wide-ranging conversation with an absolute pioneer. That's our wind-up. Here, without further ado, the good doctor, Renee Richards. So first, I'm, I'm happy to get you 
the day after you were vaccinated. So I, I congratulate. That's, that's good news. How are you feeling? Well, I, I feel okay now. During the night, I was a little bit feverish, and I still have a sore arm, and I'm not going to go swing any golf clubs today. But I'm very fortunate in being able to have gotten the vaccination and that I got a second shot and that nothing terrible is going on. And uh, I'm going to be able to go back to my office next week because I've gotten a second shot now. And that's been, uh, you know, that's been depressing for me, sitting around, no golf, no tennis, no office, just uh, talking with some friends and doing emails and not such a good reader, although I did read a very good book uh, last week. Oh, what was that? It was called The Undoing Project, written by uh, Michael Lewis, who wrote Moneyball. Sure, the, the, the behavioral economist. That was great. Exactly. You do know about it. God, I figured you might. Yeah, they, they invented behavioral economics, and they won the Nobel Prize for it. That's and the book is sensational. Great book. Um, you have a book as well, though. Let's let's talk. Uh, let's let's jump ahead in our questions. Let's let's talk about your book. When uh, right. is coming out? What's it about? Uh, my book is about uh, the final year of the century, and it's called Diary 1999, and it's a diary of my life in 1999, every single day, and it's basically my medical practice and what it was like for a doctor in the last year of the century with the changes in the uh, medical uh, care delivery and uh, Obamacare and uh, managed care and uh, all the things that were going on at that time. And I've documented all of that. And I've gotten some commentaries from other doctors that I'm close to for their opinions about it too. And there's also personal stuff in there because I talk about moving up here to the country and building our house and uh, uh, living uh, both in the city and in the country before I finally gave up uh, the New York office and the New York apartment and I just remained up here. And uh, it's a punctuation for young doctors and also for patients to learn about what the changes were at the end of the last century. So, so just to be clear, people are going to go, oh, Renee Richards is writing a book, and then they're going to find out it's, it's a medical book and it's about uh, ch changes to the healthcare community and to technology with eye surgery. And uh, you got the idea. You got the idea because it's, uh, it's not going to appeal to uh, a segment of the population that's going to hear Renee Richards, and uh, if they are maybe old enough to have remembered the, the name, will we'll think strictly in terms of the uh, psychosexual uh, revolution or transgender or something to do with that, and it really has nothing to do with that. And uh, it's, it's basically a, a book about medical practice. In fact, it's, uh, it's been given a grant for the publication by the Strabismus Foundation. The Strabismus Foundation, the word strabismus means uh, uh, abnormalities of the eye muscles, kids that are cross-eyed, wall-eyed, uh, see double, 
uh, have lazy eye amblyopia and all that. And the Strabismus Foundation has uh, given a grant to, to help publish this. Otherwise, it wouldn't be published. It wouldn't be published by, let's say, my last publisher, Simon & Schuster. They would have no interest in doing that. Did, did I hear right that you said now, now that you're vaccinated, you might go back into the office? I mean, someone had told me they thought you still, you, you were not retired. You still practice on occasion. Is that, is that right? It's, it's not on occasion. It's every week. Oh, wow. And I stopped when uh, our office manager got COVID about two months ago. I stopped because uh, I was at serious risk then and, and got very upset and very nervous about it. So I stopped two months ago. And uh, now that I've got my second vaccination, I'm going back next week. So I'll be back in the office next week. I don't operate, but I still see patients in the office. Yeah. You, you are too modest to say this, so I'll say it for you. Um, you, you are and are renowned as absolutely world-class in your field. Um, I mean, I, I know people who were, were going to go to Europe to have surgery for their children's eyes and basically said, well, I don't need to go to Europe because the, the best practitioners here in Manhattan, I'm just going to go see Dr. Richards. What, what is it like for you to be world-class in a sector and that's not what you're best known for? I mean, I, I can't imagine what that's like. Well, first of all, I don't know that I'm, I'm world-class in, in eye muscle surgery. I mean, I'm, I guess I was pretty well-known in my day, but I, I don't think we have a, a ranking for that like we do in the uh, ATP or the WTA. So I don't know exactly where I rank. I mean, maybe there's someone in Switzerland or in, in Brazil who's doing better eye muscle surgery than, than I ever did. So, you know, I, I take exception to that. But I understand your question. Your question is, I mean, if I, let's say I was a very good eye muscle surgeon and took very good care of kids with eye muscle problems, that's not what I'm known for. I mean, you know, I'm known for the Renee Richards who uh, was discovered in La Jolla playing a tournament after I had had my uh, surgery to become Renee. And that's what I'll ever always be known for. And I, I think about that sometimes. I think about morbidly my obituary. It'll be transsexual uh, tennis player, Dr. Renee Richards dies, you know, and I, I can't undo that. I mean, that's a person's infamy. And that's, that's the lot in life that a, a lot of people have to suffer with. And uh, the general public doesn't know what their most important parts of their life were. That's, that's how you see it, that your, your most important, uh, most important parts of your life were your professional work and not, uh, pioneering or, or something like that. Absolutely. I mean, the pioneering is important. I, I don't want to totally minimize it. But, you know, I, I think that uh, I was given a, an award a couple of years ago by the Horace Mann School where I attended in the, probably the five most important years of my educational life. I mean, it's where Billy Barr went and it's where uh, Elliot Spitzer went and it's where uh, the Blinkens went and, and all that. So uh, they gave me a prize, the Distinguished uh, Alum Prize for the year. And it was a very important thing for me. And, and I had to give a speech. And, and when I gave the speech, I said that, that my life was uh, really like uh, all Gaul divided into three parts. It was medicine, it was sports, and it was 
human rights. So I, I know that I'm going to be known in, in the public more for the human rights part of it. And that's okay with me too, because that's important. Do you feel, I mean, there is, obviously, this is a, a, a hot button topic. I mean, just, just this week, uh, Biden issued an executive order about uh, the, the military and, and trans rights in the military, basically undoing, uh, you know, repealing Trump's ban on transgender military service. Right? Do, do you feel pressure to get involved? Do you, are you, I mean, I, I don't know where sort of you are vis-a-vis -vis these debates within the trans community. Are, are you being asked to comment? Are you being asked to get involved? All the time. How do you and I refuse. I, I don't do it. The only, the only thing that I've agreed to in, in recent times is uh, when Martina prevailed on me to attach my name to some legislation that she's working on with Donna de Verona and Billy Jean, something to do with transgenders. And I said, okay, put my name on it too. But I have... I have nothing to do with that stuff. And uh, I really ha have stayed out of it. I mean, just on the subject that you, you mentioned, the, the transgenders in the military. I mean, you realize that when I was in the military, it was in 1963. And I was Richard Raskin then, I wasn't uh, Renee. And there's no way that somebody who had have become Renee would have been able to serve in the military at that time. And I had a wonderful experience in the Navy in my tour of active duty. I wouldn't trade it for anything among the most important things that I've done, even though it was only two years of active duty and then six more in the reserve. But I'm so far removed from the current climate of what's going on. I don't even know some of the words. I mean, to, to me, transgender, okay, I can go with that instead of transsexual. That's okay with me. I know the guy that invented the term, John Monty from, from uh, uh, Johns Hopkins psycho psychology department. So that's okay. But I mean, when I hear things like uh, non-binary or people called they, if it's a singular person, or a Q, I don't like that word. I, I, I'm happy that I'm not part of any of that. I really am. I, I think people would be fascinated to hear that. I mean, even, I, I don't know, you, you mentioned Martina. I think we should be, there, there seems to be a real split um, among retired athletes, but also broader than that. I mean, Martina and Donna Di Verona, seem to suggest we need to consider, you know, we need to consider physiology and physiological differences when we decide whether trans athletes are playing male sports or female sports. You, you have Billie Jean King on the other side, Megan Rapinoe. It, it does seem like our new president who basically seemed to suggest if, if you identify as a female, play female sports. Um, well, that's not right either, you know? I mean, that's stupid. You don't think so? Well, of course not. I mean, if you're going to take a 16-year-old junior in high school boy and put him on a, a, a girl's tennis team, <laughs> it's insane. Now, if you tell me you've got a 16-year-old boy who's been on hormone blockers uh, at the very beginning of puberty and hasn't developed the muscle mass 
and the size of an ordinary normal XY male, that's another story. But you can't just have somebody announce, uh, I'm a girl, so I want to play on the girls' team. Come on, you know better than that, and so does, so does everybody who's got a brain. Well, I, I think you. Uh, I, I think people say that at their own peril. They want at their own peril. What say what at their own peril? You know, I, I think there's a fairly large cohort that says, if people identify as one gender, that's the gender they should be entitled to uh, to play sports in, and that we're not really taking opportunities away from from girls and from women. If but you are, you, you of course can, you are. Um, I mean, I, I think one thing that. Um, people don't always realize in your story that I, I think is important is how, how old you were when you transitioned. Well, that's, that was a big part of it, too. If I was a 22-year-old transsexual, I would have won every match that I ever played in the women's. But I was a 47-year-old. As Eileen Nastasi used to say, what are they worried about? She's old enough to be their mother. I, th yeah, I think you told me that. You said if I, if I had done this in my 20s, I would have been a Wimbledon champion. Yeah, right. Right. Um, I, I don't want to get you in any trouble, but you, you realize how, uh, how, how I mean, Martina can talk about this firsthand. You realize how um, this is a, a charged hot button issue, as, as we say. Well, you mean, I don't mind it. I'm, I'm not in the public anymore. I can remember when I was more vocal, when there was a time that the, uh, a Canadian mountain biker was trying to gain some acceptance playing who was a, a transgender. And the headline in the uh, newspaper was, Doc says, do as I say, not as I do, referring to me. Talking about you. These were the days when I got into trouble for opening my mouth. Now, that doesn't make any difference to me. I'm 86 years old. What do I, I care? I, I want to ask you about longevity. You, I, I was kidding last time. We spoke a few years ago and I said, are, you know, how are you, are you, are you hitting balls? And you said, do you mean golf balls or tennis balls? Because you do both. You, you still play golf, you still go to work. What, what do you think's enabled you to do that, as you say, at, at age 86? I mean, it's, it's fairly remarkable. I think that, that one thing is uh, good luck. Uh, another is uh, heredity. My father lived to be a hundred. My mother died of cancer, of course, when she was only 61. But, but I think your genes have a lot to do with your longevity. Uh, so I was lucky to have, or I am lucky to have good genes. Uh, and also, you know, I talk about this with Arlene a lot, that we both think that the fact that I've been on uh, uh, estrogen replacement for uh, ever since I was uh, in my 30s, uh, that, that's given me some uh, extra health too. There's got to be something about the hormonal effect too. I, I take the weakest dose of estradiol that you can take, uh, 0.035 milligrams as a skin patch once a week. I still do it. That's fascinating. And you're still, uh, you're still hitting golf balls and tennis? Are you, you still playing tennis? No, I don't play anymore because my, my knees started to bother me when I was playing. I was still coaching up until a few years ago with a coaching partner of mine, Peter Fiore. But I, uh, 
I stopped because my knees were bothering me and it interfered with my golf game, which I became addicted to. So I, I play golf almost every day that I can. And on days that I can't play, I swing the club on my tennis court. So I do that. And that's, I think, kept me pretty healthy and keeps me going. And I belong to a ladies league at the club up here. We have 25 really wonderful, it's a wonderful club. They're, they're just great people and we play every Wednesday in the league and then we play with each other several times uh, the rest of the week too. So I do that and I go for walks. Uh, we have a new little Airedale puppy. As soon as he's a little bigger, we're going to do power walking on the road around the reservoir. Um, and Arlene cooks wonderful food for me every single day, all day long. So I, I'm fortunate to be healthy. I'm not going to wood, but uh, we'll see what happens. And you're still, you're still a tennis fan. We, we hear from you. I'm still a tennis fan. Are you kidding? I watch every match. I comment on it to everybody except for the public. <laughs> you know, and you know, the, the thing that gets me about the, being a tennis fan for one thing is that there's always this raging argument about who's the greatest of all time. I guess that happens in every sport, but it, it seems to be even more prevalent, these arguments when it comes to tennis. Uh, not so much the women, but for the men, because we've had these three wonderful players for the, the past uh, few years. And it's so hard to have to chime in on that because uh, I wish that we wouldn't have to chime in on it because uh, the three of them are so great and we've had such a wonderful time mm -hmm. having them in our tennis lives at the same time. I mean, there, were, there were eras where there weren't uh, so many great, great players. Uh, I asked Bobby Riggs once who was the greatest of all time, and he told me, well, you have to go by decades. He says, you have to go by decades because of changes in conditioning and racket technology and strings and all the rest of it and training. He says, so you have to go by decades. And in the first half of the last century, there was Bill Tilden, and then there was all the rest. And then he said there were the 60s, and you had the... 50s and uh, Laver and Rosewall and Hogue and Gonzalez and Kramer and then you got into the, the, the 60s and then you were started to a little bit of a hiatus until you got uh, Bjorn and uh, John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors and, uh, and then you got into even Lendl and then you got into Stasi and, and then you got more into Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi and all of them, any one of them could have been considered the greatest of all time, but I don't think you should do that. And uh, I try not to do it. I, uh, it's interesting to me that you, you, uh, you did that for the men. Um, what, uh, let's stay there. I mean, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. Let, let's not, we don't have to go down the road of who's the greatest, but does one of them appeal to you more than the others? I mean, one of them sort of vis viscerally you find more appealing when you watch them play? Well, I mean, for pure artistry, you have to go with Federer. And for pure physicality, you have to go with uh, Nadal. And for pure uh, concept of the game and workmanship, uh, you have to go with uh, Djokovic. 
you know, in terms of their personalities, uh, you know, they're totally different personalities. Right. Uh, one seems to get into trouble for anything that he might say. The other one can say nothing that's wrong at all. And the third one is probably, uh, you know, Rafa Nadal is a very high person. I talk about people in terms of being high people or, or low people. He's a very high, high person. His, his character is very high. He, he, he doesn't denigrate other people. He, he doesn't get into uh, the, the fray where it comes to uh, criticizing other people. He, he's always out there up front and doing his utmost to do the best that he can. And, uh, you know, he may be the, the highest character. Of course, he's left-handed too, so I'm prejudiced. Yeah, I was going to say, you're just prejudiced for his left. No, that was a, uh, that's, that's a great summation of tennis uh, past and present. What, um, what, what do you think of the women's game right now? Well, I think that the women's game has been great over the past uh, couple of decades. I mean, uh, immediately comes to mind uh, Billie Jean and Chrissy and Martina and Steffi. Uh, but the era of the Williamses and Serena has been, been a fabulous uh, decade or more. Uh, before them, you have to go back to Maureen Connolly and uh, then the half a century before that, which nobody's ever heard of. But you could start with Maureen and then go to Chrissy and Billie Jean and Martina. And uh, who am I leaving out? Am I leaving out? I'm not sure. I, I think uh, Steffi Graf. Yeah, I got her. I put her in. Yeah, I mean, essentially from, from Steffi, Monica Sellis, of course, is. Uh, yes, right. That's right. And then. It would have been in there. Yeah. The last, I mean, it's hard to believe, but I'm, I'm talking to someone who uh, played in their 40s as well. But, you know, we're talking about a quarter century of Williams family domination, which is just. Yes. Like, yeah, right. No, absolutely. I mean, she. She's right there. I, I would, you know, I kind of like to see her break Margaret Court's record um, for a lot of reasons, but uh, for one reason, because uh, Margaret's record, although it's fabulous, 24 victories, several of them were in Australian Opens that were, most of the best players didn't travel down to Australia to, to play in them. But I mean, she did a lot. Tennis. She was one of the first to start really training physically and become a, a good physical specimen. I, I, still, I still can't get it. I mean, I think this is still fascinating. If, if somebody said, uh, you know, Renee Richards wants to see Margaret Court's record overtaken, I think people would say, yeah, I could imagine that. And if you said, well, why? It, it, people would not have suggested it was because you thought Margaret Court played in Australian Open draws that were in an apples and orange comparison. I mean, I think people would assume like Martina, you, you had some real issues with Margaret Court because of... Uh, no, don't assume that. Don't assume that. Yeah, I mean, she, could, she yeah. could have been totally reactionary, which she probably is. And uh, I still would have said uh, that her record was sensational if more players had gone down there and played in those Australian Opens. No, I, I think that's my point. I'm, I'm so fascinated by this idea that you don't necessarily self-identify as a pioneer. You would rather talk about your triumphs in, uh, in, in eye surgery and then your ranking as a, as a tennis player or your, what a lot of people I think would consider your, your pioneering on a topic that 
in 2021 has a great deal of resonance. I mean, I think that's really a, a fascinating part of this whole story. Well, I'm too much. I'm too much of a dinosaur to to be current with the uh, the, the current uh, arguments about all the uh, the gender stuff because uh, my time is different. You know, I mean, nowadays people come out on television and announce, uh, "Now I am a woman. I'm having surgery to become a woman." That, that wasn't my time that wasn't my life my life was of somebody of very few people and in fact did something like that they would disappear they would merge into the woodwork they would never be seen again they would be living perfectly quiet unknown lives it's totally different now i don't understand it i don't understand a lot of it like i said i don't understand the mixture of all of it i don't understand non-binary and, uh, and all of that. I, I find this so fascinating. I think people, in, in, I think a lot of other people positioned the way you are would be happy to be considered a pioneer. And, and you essentially have said that's, you, you said this to me once before. You said, look, that, that was decades ago. I'm on to different things now. This is not how I identify myself. Um, I think yeah. it's really fascinating. I think um, you, you, I suspect you might draw some criticism for uh, what you said about female athletes needing to fully transition before they can play women's sports. But I think you're, uh, it's, it's really admirable that this happened to you and uh, you may be associated as, as a pioneer, but that's not how you want to live your life and that's not how you want to be remembered. Um, well, I don't know about being remembered. I can just tell you about leading my life. I mean, I can't control how I'm going to be remembered. Um, so tell me, let, let's close just telling us how we can get this book and when, when it's coming out, where we can order it and uh, how people can read it. We'll be it. able to order it on Barnes & Noble and Amazon. It's going to be <coughs> published by Hallard Press, H-A-L-L-A-R-D, Hallard Press. And it's a small publishing outfit and they are getting this grant from the Strabismus Foundation to uh, publish it. and. Uh, People can get it on Amazon or, <clears throat> or Barnes & Noble, probably some other sites as well. And uh, I mean, it's a pretty interesting uh, book about one doctor's life in medicine and at home in the last year of uh, the last century. That's great. I think uh, people, people will be interested to read this on a number of levels. I think that's great. Uh, last question, who wins the Australian Open? Men, women, I think Serena wins it. Really? I think Serena gets her 24th. This will be the, the easiest venue for her to do it, I think. Um, Why's that? Well, I don't think that uh, Brianna Andreescu was going to be there, and I don't think that a few other players are going to be there and uh, the field is probably not as strong as the one that will be at, at the French or at, at Wimbledon. I think she might have a good shot at Wimbledon too. Um, you know, Naomi Osaka is a wonderful player and uh, I don't know what happened to Andrescu, but Naomi Osaka could be a, a favorite too. Probably either Serena or Naomi Osaka. For the men, <coughs> You know, these five young players are 
<clears throat> definitely threatening Djokovic and uh, Nadal. Federer's not playing, so it's just Djokovic and Nadal. And uh, if you've looked at Dominic Team and uh, Sissipas and uh, Zverev playing these guys in the past year, you must know that they have the ability to beat them. They just haven't done it in a, in a grand slam. And uh, I, I would say I wouldn't bet against Dominic Team. I think he's a sensational player. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't bet against Djokovic either. Djokovic has a winning record against everybody he's ever played in <laughs> against. He has won, uh, do I have this right? He's, he's won the Australian Open as many times as Federer has won Wimbledon. Yeah, something like that. And he's got a winning record against Federer and he's got a winning record against Nadal. Exactly. Um, all right. We should, this but is, I don't know anything about tennis. Don't go by me. Oh, stop. Come on. You'll be watching on Tennis Channel. Um, yes, I will. This is great. I was glad. Put the mute on. <laughs> no, don't say that. <laughs> That's a conversation. No, I listen. I listen sometimes. I listen sometimes. Um, this was a pleasure. I um, I'm happy you got vaccinated. I'm happy we were able to catch Thanks. up. Thank uh, you. I'm happy you uh, you do this on your terms. You're fearless about backlash, and um, I hope uh, I hope we can do this again when your book comes out. That would be wonderful. All right, John. Thank uh, you. It's been fun for me to 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 go back anytime I'm able to. Start talking tennis, you know. I, I get wound up, and I, it's hard to turn me off. So, next, next time we'll talk about why uh, you mute tennis channel, but that's a conversation for another time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, be well. Go hit some golf balls. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Be well. Be safe. Okay. Thanks to uh, Renee Richards. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. Again, this is just a towering figure. I suspect we will be marveling at for for centuries 86 years old now still practicing still hitting golf balls still watching tennis sometimes with the sound down little interest in playing any sort of ceremonial role but it's probably worth considering how far we've come with uh trans rights and when we tell her story remind ourselves this was in the 1970s so um anyway um that was uh, enjoyed that conversation hope you did too uh thanks as always to the guest dr renee richards Thanks to Jamie for her behind-the-scenes sorcery, as always. Next week, we'll talk uh, 2021 Australian Open. Uh, more full disclosure, I will be going to L.A., not to Melbourne, but to Tennis Channel in Los Angeles for, uh, for broadcasting. So we will have all the coverage on Tennis Channel, not from on-site, but it will not in any way be compromised. We have a new studio. Uh, we'll have another guest next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You can leave a review, rate this podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll do this again in seven days. Mm-hmm.